KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the rundown for Friday, December 3rd, 2021. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Sabrina Boyd Circa. And Sabrina, you've pretty much become our resident theater person. And as we're getting ready to head into the weekend, people might be going out to shows and no better time than today to actually talk about what's happening in the theater world. Always happy to talk about theater and, uh, you know, thanks to the Rundown team for letting me kind of hijack this. And if this slowly becomes a theater (laughs) podcast, I'm not sorry. We will not complain about that. (laughs) We'll have a whole section. This might be the day of the week that becomes the the talk about theater day. I'll take it. And this is a great way to spend a Friday, but I know there's a lot that has been happening, especially over the last couple of weeks in the theater world. Yeah, absolutely. And the biggest news over the past week or so has been that Stephen Sondheim passed away a week ago today. I think he was 92, 91 years old. He was in his 90s, so a long and well-lived life. He made so many great, great musicals and songs. And um, I got the chance to talk to Terry Nolan at the Arden Theater, who has directed a bunch of Sondheim shows. He's given an award to Sondheim. He's talked with him and worked with him a good amount. And I just got a chance to kind of chat and talk and reflect and have our own little little memorial, audio memorial to Stephen Sondheim. And that is going to be coming up later on in this episode, but that's not the only conversation you've had. We've spoken before that you are not just simply a producer here and you're also a performer yourself. Yep. And you are a part of a theater in Swarthmore. And it turned out because everything apparently is a small world around here. (laughs) You ran into somebody who works in this building who's also a part of the same theater group, basically. Yeah, that's right. I am not the only performer in the building. And you know what? It kind of makes sense when you think about a a host, a radio host, a podcast host. We were kind of acting. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm being myself, but we're performing in front of the microphone. It's not that far of a stretch to perform on stage. And it surprised me to learn that Glenn Macnow of WIP Sports Radio is in a show at the same theater that I do shows at. Somehow we had never actually bumped into each other, either in the office or in the theater. But I called him up and said, hey, we got to talk about this. So we're talking about anything (laughs) goes at the Players Club of Swarthmore. I saw it last night. Glenn is fabulous. He's, He's hilarious and just plays the role so well. It's a big tap show, so if you're into tap dancing, the big tap numbers are very, very cool. Highly recommend. Um, but Glenn and I are just going to talk about how two radio hosts got into theater. It is very interesting, and you mentioned something about we're all kind of performers. I've often told people that J. Scott Smith is basically just me with the volume turned up to about 9 or 10 anyway, so we all are a little bit different from our regular quote-unquote personas to who we are on the microphone. And now we get to hear this conversation that – Sabrina has with Glenn Macnow from Sports Radio 94 WIP, which is just right down the hall from the studio here, about his moment on stage with the Players Club of Swarthmore. Let's check this out. So we're doing a bit of cross-station talk today. WIP is right down the hall, and the great Glenn Macnow is here uh, actually on Zoom. And, you know, I wish that you were here in the studio, but with the world being what it is today, it's funny that... Your station's right there, but we're on on video. So nice to see you. Yes, <laughs> and we, I, have, we have crossed we have crossed paths before, but I don't think we've ever actually really met before. I know. I was saying that it's it's really kind of shocking that we haven't met. 
Not only are you a legend in sports reporting, but also I started seeing your name the most on the Facebook page from the Players Club of Swarthmore when they were promoting that WIP was giving away tickets to Anything Goes. And I do shows at that theater. And I stopped and said, now, how did they get that? How did they get a ticket giveaway on a sports station? And then I find out that you are actually in this show. I am um, Sabrina. I'm delighted. We just uh, finished our first weekend and it went great. And we have two more weeks of the show. And um, for those who don't know anything, go is one of those classic Cole Porter musicals from back in the day that still really holds up. It's hysterical. There's a big cast of people way more talented than I in it. And it's a pleasure <laughs> to be part of it. I definitely want to talk more about the show because this was one of those delayed by the pandemic. There's a whole story there. But first, the first question that comes to mind is how does a sports radio host get into theater? Were you did you do theater as a kid or did you as an adult sometime think this could just be a fun thing to do? I did theater as a kid. I did theater in high school. I did theater a little bit in college. Um, Truth be told, I did theater in college mostly because I thought it would be a vehicle to meet girls was not as successful as that as I would have liked, but I did enjoy the theater. <laughs> uh, and then I stopped because life got in the way and I got a job and a career and I moved around a lot, Florida, Michigan to Pennsylvania, uh, had kids, did, you know, all of that. And I always thought, you know, I miss it. I'd always like to get back in it, like to get back into acting. The guy who was my producer a quarter century ago, God, was that long ago? I don't know, 20 something years ago, WIP was a guy named Anthony Sanfilippo and we stayed huh. friends and yeah, he was, he was produced when I started WIP with Jody McDonald way back in the day, he produced our show and um, he told me that he was in theater. So I went to watch him in a show, um, Brighton beach memoirs. And I think, my God, he can act. And then I thought, geez, if he can act, I can act again. <laughs> so he and I had the conversation and he said to me, well, if you ever want to do it again, let me know. I, you know, I'm involved in shows over there. So in 2018, he was directing a, a, a small show in the upstairs theater there called The Dining Room. And um, he said to me, look, you've waited long enough. If you're ever going to do it, come out and audition for this show. And at that time, my kids were grown. I had more free time. And I thought, what the hell? And I tried out and I got the part. And Sabrina, I loved it. And so I've been this is now my third show there uh, since 2018. That's awesome. And I know Anthony very well. He's well, was recently the president of the board of the Players Club and that he is, I think, finished his term last spring or summer. And he's the director of Anything Goes. So that makes sense that he would have pulled you in for this one, too. Now, so as I mentioned, that Anything Goes was originally set to go up in April, I think, of 2020. Obviously, that didn't happen. Were you in the cast at that point? I was. Auditions were December 4th, 2019, two years ago. Wow. Wow. Because I know Uh, that they've uh, they had to recast some roles because people, you know, a year and a half later couldn't necessarily commit to the same schedule. But so you've been in it the whole time you did the whole I mean, you were almost done with the rehearsal cycle and then you had to start it all over again. So it's like, did you learn the show twice? You must know it really well by now. Yeah. Yeah. I do it. I can, in, in fact, do 
do it in my sleep. So uh, as I said, auditions were December 4, 2019. We went into rehearsals. Uh, as you know, from doing it, you start out with once a week, go to twice a week, go to three. And then like by the end, you're doing it five times a week. Mm-hmm. And in March 2020, you know, we all those of us in the business knew the pandemic was kind of coming. How bad is this going to be? Reading reports. I don't know. I think we thought like most people thought it's going to be like a couple week delay. Everybody go home, keep practicing your parts. Don't forget it. They, you know, we put up some dance videos on Facebook, do the dance videos, stick with it, practice your songs. And we thought we'll be back in two weeks, three weeks, whatever became two months, became three months. And then came to the point where I didn't know that we'd ever get the chance to do it again. A few months ago, Anthony sent a note out when they came up with this, when, when the world started to reopen and the theater started to reopen and they started to put out the schedule for 21, 22. And they said, we'd like to do the show. We want everybody who was in the cast to be part of it. There are 31 people in the cast. I think 22 of them, give or take, came back, uh, including uh, what you would call the, the, the eight or 10 lead roles all came back. Had to replace some dancers, some ensemble, a few people, but almost everybody you know, loved it and was so into it that we all wanted to come back and be part of it. This cast in particular and crew has been so dedicated. And I always I feel like everybody at the Players Club is always really dedicated to their shows and their work and the people more than anything else that they work with. But this show has just seen so much dedication and commitment. And you you only do it out of love because this is community theater. Nobody's getting paid. You're doing it in your spare time if you have spare time. Yeah. And it's just been an incredible to see how committed people are to making this show happen. Well, you know, from doing this and, and listen, my background is people know my, my background, at least professionally, is in, is in sports. And most of my life I played sports. I played hockey. I played softball. Uh, I don't do it anymore and I miss it. What I really love about it overall and this show in particular is it really is a team coming together. Uh, you know, I mean, it's. It's people working together for a common goal, everybody trying to help each other, everybody, you know, the, the, the game is the play, is the production. You have your coaches, you have your coordinators, you have everything else. And it really is fun for me to be part of a team working to do that. And this, this is a good team. It's funny you put it that way, because I feel like theater and sports are always sort of pitted against each other, at least in school. You know, it's like you, you got to do one or the other. If you're a theater nerd, you're not. I'm certainly not a sports kid and I was very much a theater nerd, but they do have that similar vibe of just like being on a team. You you have your coach or your director. You're all working together to make something happen and just just having fun, too. Yeah. And uh, this is a great group. And, you know, there's some great person. There's, there's amazing talent. In it. I'm I feel lucky just to kind of be pulled along by these people. But it's also, I think, I think when Anthony casts or when any director casts it, part of it is you want people who can do the job, but you also want people who are going to mesh and going to work well together. And this, this is, listen, I'm giving, you know, six nights a week to it right now. It better be fun. And it is fun. Right. Yeah. Now tell me about your role. Are we going to get to hear you sing a solo? You are amazingly. Um, it's the song that nobody knows in the play. I mean, there are, <laughs> you know, there there are amazing songs in this play that that people have been singing for seventy five years. 
Um, my role is I got a great role. Um, and people who know me know that this isn't exactly acting. I played a guy. I play somebody named Elisha Whitney, who is the uh, billionaire drunken womanizer who wanders around half the play, having lost his glasses, not being able to see in his silk bathrobe. So other than the zillionaire, it's really like most nights at my home. Um, <laughs> that sounds like and, a fun part, though. Oh, it's, it's the greatest part. And truth be told, I'm really lucky because I have half of the laugh lines in the play. I have all the funny lines. So unless I'm terrible, I'll get real laughs. And nobody's coming to see me for the dancing. So if I can make people <laughs> laugh, I'm happy with that. Um, I do have one solo that I do, a song known as the crew song. I'm on the stage by myself. I don't want to give away more than that. It's not too long. Nobody has to run out of the theater, but um, it's a good, funny scene. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, we will now send everyone to go see it. No more spoilers. If you want to hear the musical tones of this voice that you've heard on WIP radio for so long, the show is running through December 11th at the Players Club of Swarthmore. PCSTheater.org is where you get your tickets. I will always gladly plug t tickets and shows at PCS. Um, Glenn, what do you have anything else lined up next? Any other shows after this? This is so exhausting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I know you've done quite a few of these and I've seen you in a few of these and you were great in Sister Act. I mean, thank you. You know, b before we met, I watched you and admired you on the stage. Um, there are people who go from one show to another to another. I got news. One a year, maybe two a year is enough. When I'm done <laughs> with this show, chillaxing is my plan for the next few months. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Look down the road and see what's next on the schedule. I was one of those people. I think I did like three shows back to back performing. And then I produced one and then I did sound for one. And then it was January or February of 2020 that I did my my last, not my most recent, but I took a break, said I'm going to take a little mm -hmm. while off. And little did I know how much time I was going to take off and then got back into yep. it this this fall. But uh, yeah, it is a lot. So I uh, totally, totally understand the like one or two a year. So, you know, this may this will definitely be your last chance to, to see Glenn on stage in 2021. We'll see what comes in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, PCSTheater.org is where they get tickets. Sabrina, maybe someday you and I will get to be in a show together. That would I would love fun. that. I would love that. We're going to yeah. have to chat and I'll see what you're auditioning for next and see if I can, can get involved in that one. Very good. That'd be a blast. Well, thanks so much for, for chatting. This was fun. Thank you, Sabrina. My pleasure. And that was Sabrina Boyd-Serka speaking with Glenn Backnow from Sports Radio 94 WIP, a sports guy talking about community theater and doing it very well, by the way. And there's more theater to come on this Friday, as we'll also have Sabrina's conversation with Terry Nolan from the Arden Theater, remembering the late Stephen Sondheim. That's coming up. I'm Jay Scott Smith with Sabrina Boyd-Serka, and you're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka. One week ago, the theater world lost an icon, the great Stephen Sondheim. He wrote the music and lyrics for hits like West Side Story, Into the Woods, Sweeney Todd, Sunday in the Park with George, I Could Go On and On. Theater artists everywhere are understandably grieving this, and that includes here in Philadelphia. 
The Art and Theater has produced 16 Sondheim shows and is doing Into the Woods again next summer. I'm here with the Arden's producing director, Terry Nolan, who has been there for all of those shows and has a very personal connection with Sondheim as well. Terry, very glad that you could join us. Thank you. Thanks very much. I'm going to dive right in and start right off the bat with your personal connection with Sondheim. What's your connection to him and his work and what all of that means to you? I grew up in this area uh, when I was in high school. Uh, the tour for Sweeney Todd came through town uh, with Angela Lansbury and George Hearn. Uh, I went to see it at the forest and it changed my life. It's audacity, theatricality, this you know incredible score that was unlike anything I had ever heard before. The way it sort of would move from you know incredible drama um, to moments that were incredibly funny, wickedly funny. Uh, to things that would, you know, break your heart. I was consumed by it. Um, and then saw it again uh, another time or two. And like so many, um, started uh, listening to uh, the recordings um, of all of his shows. Listening to his work taught me so much about storytelling um, and about living in a complex world. Um, you know, he always explored the uh, contradictions of life, of being human. I like that. And I hadn't seen that, certainly in musical theater. Musical theater was about, um, you know, musical comedy is about sort of strong, bold choices. And in Sondheim's work, it was about exploring the grays. Uh, and I, I was just so drawn to that uh, because I thought it spoke in a really truthful, profound way to uh, the world as I saw it. Um, as opposed to the Rodgers and Hammerstein, which often speaks to the world as one might wish it. I was fortunate to direct a little night music uh, in college. That's the first time I directed his work. And uh, working with it, uh, came to experience firsthand how incredibly demanding it is uh, yeah. musically. You know, just it is such specific work. And then uh, when we started The Arden, our mission is to tell great stories by great storytellers. Um, we knew musical theater would be part of our work from the very beginning. So uh, started in 88 and uh, included musicals in our first two seasons. And I think it was our third season that we said, let's do Sweeney Todd. Uh, we were at St. Stephen's Alley, uh, where the Lantern now is. Um, and we did uh, a production of Sweeney Todd that was... Uh, incredibly environmental, so that the acting took place above, behind, underneath you. Um, and the night before we started performances, I thought, all right, well, we failed. It's just not gonna work. It's too much, it's too, it's too hard for us. And then we had audiences who uh, gave us energy and clarity, and uh, it became you know, an incredible production, um, a real high point for us. Uh, and so that started our commitment to doing his work. And uh, we've continued to do, uh, you know, a great, a great number of his productions. He's the most produced writer in the Arden's history. Wow. I mean, I say, wow, but I'm also not surprised because he may be, he's at least one of, if not the most prolific writer in musical theater. Yes. Now, I know that you've met him because I know at the very least you had um, 
a ceremony and a concert to present him with the first Master Storyteller Award from the Arden. But was that the first time you met him or had you actually met him before? No, I started um, sending him uh, letters, um, asking questions about shows or, um, you know, asking if he would sign posters. And then uh, Michael Ogborn, a composer uh, whose original work we've done, um, was doing a presentation of a new musical that he had written at the BMI workshop. And so what would happen is they would perform whatever it was, 45 minutes uh, for master writers um, who would then give feedback uh, at the end of the semester. And so the writer was on time. So um, Michael presented his piece. Uh, and so that was the first time I met him. I spoke to him afterwards about uh, uh, about that piece and about some other work that we had done of, uh, of Michael Ogborn's. And then we continued sort of corresponding um, about uh, other Arden stuff. And then I was invited to interview him at the Wilmington Grand Opera. Um, they had an event where it was uh, a chance to, to talk with him for an hour and a half. Um, you know, so I'd done that. And then uh, we asked him if he would be our first Master Storyteller recipient. And fortunately, he said yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that he seems so accessible, whether it's your story or, I mean, this is a whole other level, but I just watched Tick, Tick, Boom and realizing how close he was and how much he helped Jonathan Larson before Jonathan Larson was a name. Yes. It just seems like he's always willing to talk to people. And you don't always yeah. get that with somebody as big as Sondheim. Yeah. He, um, that scene in Tick, Tick, Boom is exactly what the presentation that Michael Ogborn uh, was, was that exact same situation. And he was incredibly encouraging. Uh, the musical was about the disintegration or the decline of the American city in the latter half of the 20th century called Tour of the Ruins. And one of my favorite first moments was when Sondheim said after they'd finished um, the presentation, what a nifty notion for a musical. <laughs> the decline of the American city in the latter half of the 20th century. You know, I can picture him using the word nifty. <laughs> nifty notion. And he was very, yeah. Uh, and then he uh, said, I think your closing number should be your opening number. And then he had some very specific ideas. There was a play called Opus that we premiered uh, here in, uh, in Philly, playwright Michael Hollinger. And then we uh, did it in New York. Sondheim came to see it. Um, and so in the performance report, it says, you know, the audience includes Stephen Sondheim. And, um, and Michael, uh, uh, two or three days later, um, got a note in the mail saying, dear Michael, you know, I saw your opus this week and it's one of the finest new plays I've seen in years. Wow. Sincerely, Stephen Sondheim. That has to be a, a peak of Michael's career. Yeah, it is, uh, it is framed, you know, and with all the ups and downs and challenges of creating new work, that's such an important moment, such important recognition and encouragement, something to return to. So he was aware of his, his position and could be incredibly generous with it. Mm, yeah. So as a performer, Sondheim is intimidating. When I see a Sondheim script or the music especially, I know yes. that is going to be tough. Yes. As a director, 
first of all, what is so unique about his work to you? And second, how do you approach it? What different approach do you take to that versus any other musical? Because I've done so much of Sondheim's work, I think I now approach all other musicals through the same lens hmm. of what is the writer doing and how can we fully bring that to life here and now? Focusing a lot on clarity. You know, with Sondheim, um, his scores are punctuated perfectly. It's impeccable. So there's a huge difference for Sondheim from a period uh, to a dash to a comma. Um, and so just noting that to say, oh, no, 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 this is three commas. So this is three ideas building. It's not three blocks. It's a line. I think that as I'm directing, I try to get to, uh, to all of the specifics. You know, he, had a, he has a writing mantra that uh, uh, is God is in the details. And I think likewise, um, in directing his work, truly serving the work is in the details. And that's always the goal. And then making sure, you know, that we're creating a space where uh, artists have the time to tackle this incredibly challenging music, to learn it, to get it, you know, in their bones um, so that um, they're able to, to know and understand everything he's given them, but then make it their own, truly um, bring themselves to the piece because that's what he does. That's his genius is he brings us artists who are doing it, audiences who are watching it, folks who are listening to recordings. You know, he speaks to them in such a personal, intimate way. Yeah. Which I think is one of the reasons we've all experienced his loss in such a profound way, because we've lost this artist who, whether we've met him or not, we know him and he knows us. He understands what it is to be human. Yeah. You know, you just see the posts on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, and all of my friends, whether they're working in professional theater or community theater, everybody has a story of a Sondheim show that they connected deeply personally with that changed them in some way. And yeah, I think I think that's it, is that he he knows sort of the human condition and expresses that in ways that not many can. Um, I do want to talk about that Master Storyteller Award because the night <laughs> yes. that that was presented <laughs> is a story. So let's yes, tell us what happened. Yeah, okay. So um, our mission, as I said, is to tell great stories by great storytellers. We thought it would be fitting to uh, create a Master Storyteller Award. And the first person we thought of was uh, Sondheim. Uh, so I wrote him and said, would you be willing? And he said, well, I'm at a point in my career that uh, I am reluctant uh, to receive such awards, um, but the Arden has been, go been so good to my work, uh, I will accept. So we were thrilled. We planned this event, um, you know, opportunity for our donors and uh, to come together and to meet him. And uh, we were gonna do a retrospective of his work. So we brought together 30 or 40 singers, um, a complete orchestra. And, uh, you know, there was a video component. We were gonna do this big hour and a half celebration and then, you know, give him the award. So he came to the theater and watched half an hour of rehearsal and uh, wanted to know, you know, where he was gonna stand and where he was gonna accept the award. and. 
And then we went over to dinner to uh, Zahav. And he was meeting every donor and incredibly generous, responding to their questions. And um, so it started to rain. And then it started to pour. And then he would say, Terrence, are you concerned about the rain? Or, and I was like, no, we have a car and we have a trolley for guests and we'll be. And then we got a call saying the power was out of the theater. All of the you know, power on the block was out. An hour passed. We were talking about bringing in, can we get a generator? And can, we're talking about anything, everything. It was like, no, that's not going to be safe. And so then uh, Glenn Perlman, our TD, said, well, there's power at the Hamilton Family Arts Center, which is our education building two doors down. We built that. There wasn't enough electricity in Old City. So we brought in power from Third and Arch. He said, that's the only building on the block that has any lights. Wow. So I was like, well, the theater there is small, the rehearsal room. And then we said, the shop, the set shop is the biggest space we have. And the production staff said, great, we're on it. So we announced to the guest that we were going to be going over to the Hamilton Family Arts Center and having this event starting an hour and a half late in the set shop. Um, we told Steve, we're going to honor you in the set shop. <laughs> the staff, um, uh, you know, lashed together the uh, table saws and the, you know, platforming that was there to make the stage. We unfortunately had to say to um, the orchestra, we're not going to be able to do it. Uh, and said to Amanda Morton, um, who was playing the piano for the event, can you play the entire event yourself? Uh, so we got a piano in there and all of the guests. And we, with maybe half a dozen songs, uh, we honored Stephen Sondheim in our set shop. Wow. And people, first of all, people stuck around for it. They waited yes. that hour and a half yeah. and then moved to the set shop. Yes. And also Sondheim was okay with it. He was just, yes. I mean, the way you describe it, it's, he sounds like he was just very chill and gracious and just kind of went with the flow. Every now and then he would say, I told you, Terrence, the rain was going to be a problem. I mean, he was, <laughs> every now and then he was aware. That's amazing. Yeah. I just love that story. <laughs> it sounds like such a unique and wonderful night. It was an incredible night. Really quick, I want to make sure that we talk about Into the Woods, which the Arden is yeah. producing in June. Yes. Have you started the kind of the rehearsal process or casting or where are you in, in that stage right now? We've just begun conversations about the design process. We'll start the casting process in January. So two years ago, we scheduled this play. And then, of course, with the pandemic, we pushed it off and kept pushing it off. And um, living through the pandemic with the loss uh, that uh, we've all suffered, I keep thinking that um, this is an incredibly beautiful and important piece to be doing as we move forward with uh, the creation of live theater. And the play is about going through complicated trying times, experiencing loss, and finding your way through it. So um, I'm, I'm really grateful with Sondheim's passing to be able to be kind of surrounded in his work and to be thinking about a new production. And one of the quotes that I've seen most often since his passing, I can't 
remember the exact lyric off the top of my head. I was just trying to look it up, but it's about, you know, leaving halfway through the woods and no one, no one leaves for good. And the, you are not alone. You know, that's something that that song has to be on repeat all over the world right now. We'll just. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Sometimes people leave you halfway through the woods. You know, it is so true. Yeah. It is so true. And people, of course, are talking about Sontai with that quote right now. Right. But it can also reflect on the whole past two years at this point. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, And with Sontai, the whole notion of like, no one leaves for good, you know, his work will be performed for so, so many years. You know, my son, uh, we did a production uh, with our Teen Arden program of Sweeney Todd. And uh, to see those young artists, you know, enthralled by Sondheim's work, the next generation, the generation after that will again return and uh, return to Sondheim's work. So he certainly is having a moment when it comes to, you know, West Side Story, uh, the film coming out, Company and Assassins, both having productions in New York. There's a moment for his work now. Uh, and uh, that will continue for as long as I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Terry Nolan, thank you so much for talking with me today. That was, and it really meant a lot to me as a theater person to be able to have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, one more thing that I want to make sure we include. How can people check out what's going on at the Arden, Into the Woods, and everything else that you're doing? You can go to our website, ardentheater.org. That's theater spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Or you can call us, uh, our box office is 215-922-1122. We will be uh, offering our first in-person performances uh, in January of A Streetcar Named Desire and have uh, a four-play season planned um, streetcar, a new play backing track, uh, a brilliant comedy, Schoolgirls, and closing with Into the Woods. We hope uh, audiences will check us out. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much and uh, break a leg with the whole season. Thank you, Sabrina. I appreciate it. And there you have it. That was Sabrina Boyd-Circa speaking with Terry Nolan, the producing artistic director at the Arden Theater, honoring and remembering the late, great Stephen Sondheim. It was really great to have that conversation, just to be able to, I hadn't really done that, sat with another theater person and talked about Sondheim. And at, the, at some point in there, I was fumbling through my brain for a quote. I actually looked it up afterwards. The quote is from Into the Woods, and the lyrics are, Sometimes people leave you halfway through the wood. Do not let it grieve you. No one leaves for good. You are not alone. No one is alone. So keep that with you. Hold that with you, whether you're thinking about Sondheim or people that you've lost over the past year or anything you're going through. And Sabrina, after the week that we've had this week with the different types of stories we've covered. It's nice to get into a Friday with something on a much lighter note than what we've seen. It's incredible work as always by you here, Sabrina. And thank you so much for doing this on this Friday edition of The Rundown. Thank you, Jay. And The Rundown is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. Me, I'm Jay Scott Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. That's real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. You can hear me every day on KYW News Radio starting at 3 o'clock on 103.9 FM. 
1060 AM and right here on the Odyssey app for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. You can also follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. Again, it's The Rundown PHL, all one word, and you can listen to that for free on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcast. So for Sabrina Boyd-Circa, I'm Jay Scott Smith, thanking you for checking out this Friday edition of The Rundown.